God calls us to be holy, to be different. Being different means letting God transform every area of your life. Are you ready to be different? When we asked Jeremy to come speak this morning, OC said, hey, can we come out and, and really do a special effort for the young people there? We want your young people to know that we care about them and we want to provide opportunities for them. And we said, sure, come on out. So today, John DeSteiger is going to be here to teach a special combined youth class in just a few moments. And we're so thankful for John and what he means, not only to OC, but to this area and to this congregation. I am curious, I'm gonna to have to slide over there, I'm curious how he's gonna start because when I hear him speak, he always starts with, it's 70 degrees and beautiful and it's always that way in Oklahoma and today is not quite that way, but I'm, I'm sure you'll manage to, uh, to find a way to get there. But we are thankful to have you with us today. We're so thankful for OC and so many of us have so many ties to OC. We're just thankful for the partnership that we enjoy for the kingdom work that is done and today, Jeremy Beller is speaking uh, to us. He'll be preaching in our Be Different series. Many of you know Jeremy or his family, Delana over at OCA and their two children, uh, Keaton and Caden. Long history in this area. He's been at the Wilshire Congregation for many years working on staff there. And he was recently named chair of the Bible department out at Oklahoma Christian. I got to know Jeremy probably best on some uh, trips to Norman. Lots of trips to Norman and sitting through uh, some long, and I'll be honest, quite boring classes at OU. But we got a, an opportunity to bond there and to get to know each other, and that was, that was quite a, a joy. Jeremy is a guy that um, loves the church. He really does. He loves the church. He loves the kingdom of God. And he wants to do all that he can to be used by God to bless lives and to build the kingdom. And that's what he is doing and that's what he will do in whatever role he's in. And I'm thankful to call him a friend. I'm thankful that he's here to bless us today. Um, he will be speaking, like I said, in our series, Be Different, on the idea of having a different mindset. And so Jeremy, come bless us this morning. We're glad you're here. Oh, did I turn this on? Can you hear me now? Okay. Some of you are saying yes, and I don't want to, and that's okay. That's okay. Uh, Randy and I did spend a lot of time together going back and forth to Norman. I don't know if I could have survived that program without Randy, and so I'm very appreciative of him. And I am really honored at the invitation to be with you this morning. This church has blessed my life and my family's life in so many ways, and I wish I had time to acknowledge all the people in this church that have blessed us. But if I did that, we wouldn't have time for the sermon. And if I were identified with some of you, it would really ruin my credibility. So I'm not going to mention all of those, but I am blessed to be here and I appreciate what you were doing in this community for the kingdom of God. I got to be here on the Sunday you celebrated your 100 year anniversary. And what a blessing it was to share that day with you and so God bless you in what you're doing and what you continue to do. So I was in my office on Monday morning, and Kent Hartman, one of our missionaries and residents over at OC, walked by my office, and he said, Jeremy, I drove past the Edmond Church building, and on their marquee, it says they have a new sermon series, Be Different. 
And on the other side of the sign, it says, next week, Jeremy Beller. I think they nailed it. The, this series that Randy has invited me to be part of is an important series. Because as followers of Jesus, we are called to be different. This is a theme you find all through the New Testament. You find it all through Scripture. But especially in the New Testament, Jesus says, you're the light of the world. City set on a hill can't be hidden. And of course, the text that Randy preached from last Sunday from Romans, where Paul says, be transformed. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And if you were to wander through the book of 1 Peter, you'll notice how important this theme is. When, when Peter says, you are aliens, you are sojourners, you're not from around here. You're a different kind of of people. But Randy didn't invite me to talk about the series at large. He did that last week. Randy invited me to talk about how we view privilege. That's right. My good friend Randy, who I love and admire, has invited me to speak on one of the most contentious, controversial topics in modern culture today. That's what friends do privilege. Come talk to this church as a guest speaker about privilege. Stand in the most blessed, wealthy nation on planet earth. Talk to these people who are one of the finest churches in the brotherhood, living in the most comfortable communities in our state. Where most are middle class, most are quite educated, nearly all of us can read. Virtually none of us had to worry about what we were going to eat or where we're going to sleep. I want you as a white man to come speak to a largely white audience about privilege. Don't you wish you were me? That's not to say that the people and the blessings and the privileges we have, that people haven't worked hard for them, that we haven't sacrificed a lot for them. It's just simply a recognition that we live in a land, in a place, and in a time of privilege. And part of the challenge of this conversation is that we are often blinded to our own privilege. Some of you may have seen or experience this illustration that's often used to show just what privilege means. And people are lined up at a starting line and a series of questions are asked. And with either question, with each question, you either move closer towards the finish line or farther back from the finish line. And the questions are uncomfortable. If your parents worked nights and weekends, Take a step back. If English was not your primary language of your household, take a step back. If you come from a supportive family and environment, take a step forward. If you have an education, take a step forward. If your parents are divorced, take a step backward. And at the end of the exercise, you look around to see some people are standing much closer to the finish line than others. Some have been giving blessings and privileges that other people have not had. 
Some of those were earned, some of those were inherited, some of those were systemic. And some of them came at the expense of other people. That's what makes this topic so tricky. Privilege can be hard to see and hard to admit. Because we don't want people discounting our efforts. And yet sometimes our efforts are built upon starting lines that are better than others. I recently got to travel around the world to take a a wonderful trip. The flight to where I went was 11 and a half hours long. You know, mathematically in my mind, I know they've worked that out, but it just bothers me. You're in the air for 11 and a half hours. How does that even work? But if you've ever flown, especially internationally, you know that when you enter the plane, they walk you in right next to first class. And that annoys me. Because when you walk in next to first class, you see their leg room. You see how cushy their seats are. You see how big their screens are. And then you turn the corner and you're in the cattle chute. And I turned the corner and I had to sit right next to the window, next to people I had never met for 11 and a half hours. And I was irked. Why do they get to sit in first class and I have to sit back here? I'm short, that pays off when you have to fly, but, but I don't have enough leg room. I can't get out and walk around. And I was sitting there upset at the privilege they had. And then it dawned on me, but I'm on a trip that few people in their life ever get to make. Privilege is often blind to us. And that makes these conversations kind of uncomfortable. Another part of the challenge of having a conversation like this is that you and I are all too aware that this conversation has been hijacked by people with political agendas. I don't have to tell you who or what, but culture is asking us to take a side in this debate over privilege, to place everyone in groups, and without thinking through or pondering their position, we are told to either like or dislike that group simply because of which group we place them in. And yet not all privilege is created equally. Some privileges are systematic and some privileges are inherited, some earned and some unearned. And far too often, privilege comes at the price of others. Just listen to the way people depersonalize others. Black, white, man, woman, rich, poor, immigrant, refugee. And culture has conditioned us to hear those words, to hear those descriptions, and immediately draw our conclusion as to who's privileged and who's not. They're asking us to say who's a villain and who's a victim based on nothing else than those descriptors. Well, prejudice and stereotyping are wrong across the board. To privilege or condemn anyone based on the way God created them to bear his image 
is to ignore the story and calling of Scripture. So here I am, a guest preacher, brought in to talk to you about this controversial topic. What am I supposed to say? Well, one of the beauties of being a guest preacher is I can say whatever I want and leave Randy to clean it up next week. In fact, if you look at Randy, his blood pressure is already ticking up a few notches. Be different. That's the series. That's the challenge. And the thing that makes you and I different as disciples of Jesus is because we're committed to seeing the world and walking through the world the way Jesus did. How did Jesus view privilege? Well, I want to invite you to a text that you've probably known most of your life. John chapter 3 and verse 16. You can probably quote it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Everybody knows that text, right? In fact, as I was typing this in my computer, the Microsoft predictive text finished it for me. Even my computer knows John 3.16. But if we're not careful, then text can become too familiar, too rehearsed. And then we miss the meaning and sometimes the scandal that it holds. And I fear we've done that with John 3.16. Let me illustrate. Have you ever paid attention to the neighborhood of John 3.16? You ever driven through one of those neighborhoods and there's the nice manicured lawn, the gutters and the shutters, they all match. There's a nice car parked right in front of the garage. John chapter 3 and verse 16, the neighborhood to the north is one of those houses. Nicodemus. He lives in a nice house. John describes him this way. A Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. That's the kind of guy you invite to guest speak. But I wish John had given us more details because what does it mean that he's a leader? What kind of leader? What role does he play? And what kind of Pharisee is he? is he? Is he one of those reasonable kind you can talk to? Or is he one of those arrogant kind that just annoys you? They're not all the same. And even with the little detail we have, Nicodemus is someone we know of great power and privilege. I like this description that one preacher gave of Nicodemus. I like Nicodemus. His pedigree, his stature, the doctor, bishop, MDiv, D-man, PhD. When the governor and presidential candidates come to town, he's the first table, among the first served, with waiters in watchful attendance. He offers the invocation, and the anthropologists of status take notice. That's Nicodemus. And what unfolds with Nicodemus is this interesting back and forth this conversation where Nicodemus, this man of great privilege and power, struggles to understand and follow along with what Jesus is saying. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Born again? Can a man enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? 
This is the leader of the Jews asking that question. Jesus says, unless a man is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And with all of his power and prestige and his privilege and his education, Nicodemus can't get it. That's the house to the north. But if you looked on the other side of the street, the southern side of John 3.16, this yard is unkept. This yard is missing some gutters, and the shutters don't match at all. A Samaritan woman whose life is a royal mess. Married five times, living with a man that's not even her husband. John doesn't just say this. But there may be a reason that she's going to the well in the heat of noon. Because no one in their right mind goes to get water at the hottest point of the day. Unless, of course, they don't want to be seen and don't want to be judged. John doesn't say it. But you get that feeling. She even knows her life is a mess. And she even senses how uncomfortable this conversation is. How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria, someone with no privilege, no power, and in case we didn't know, John does make clear how uncomfortable this whole scene would have been. Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. And what unfolds in that neighborhood is a fascinating conversation between Jesus and this woman. Give me something to drink. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would... You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. You don't have a bucket. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink the water that I give you will never be thirsty. Now, how John tells this story is remarkable. Because when you look at Nicodemus and you look at the Samaritan woman, you find two people who could not be any more different. He's a man, she's a woman. We know his name, Nicodemus. Everybody knows his name. We only know her background, her story. A Samaritan woman married five times. He's a teacher and a leader. She's a dropout and an outcast. He's a Pharisaic Jew. And she's a sinful Samaritan. Nicodemus comes at night, and she comes at noon. He comes with great confidence. We know that no man can be from God and do these things. And she comes with questions. Where do we worship? Why are you talking to me? And sandwiched between these two people, this person of great privilege and this person of no privilege... Are these words you've heard all of your life? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him 
will not perish. Have you ever listened to the words of that statement? Whoever, anyone, I would take you home with me. A Jew, the leader of the Samaritans, or the leader of the Jews, and, a, and an outcast Samaritan woman, you're telling me that they can both be accepted in the kingdom of heaven? You're telling me that Jesus died for both of those? Because culture says he only died for one of those. You want to think differently? then you realize that Jesus died for the world. Then you understand that the offer of salvation is to whoever is willing to entrust their life to Jesus. And when you begin seeing the world through that lens, trust me, you'll be different. And when we understand that the gospel call is for anyone then we won't be pulled into this cultural debate of this person versus that person. You'll be called into a debate that says anyone who trusts in Jesus Christ will be given a place in the kingdom of God. Whoever is an invitation to Pharisaic leaders and Samaritan sinners, to leaders and outcasts, to men and to women, whoever, brothers and sisters, means whoever And what you also find in John chapter 3 is that none of that is based on privilege. In fact, privilege gets you nowhere. Imagine this. Jesus is talking to a Pharisaic Jew who trusts in his ancestry. I'm a descendant of Abraham. And John doesn't tell us which tribe he would have identified with, but he's a Pharisaic Jew. We love our people. We keep genealog genealogical records of our people. I can tell you who my father and grandfather and great-grandfather was because I am Jewish. And Jesus says to a Pharisaic Jew, you got to be born again. That first birth, that doesn't move you to the head of the line. That privilege that you've earned, that privilege that you've inherited, that privilege that you have, no. You must be born again. That first birth doesn't move you ahead of that Samaritan woman. That first birth doesn't make you more special and more important. That first birth isn't sufficient. Your privilege is not what brings you to the kingdom of God. You remember when John the Baptist shows up in the Gospels and he tells some of the people who came out to hear him, don't say to yourself, we're children of Abraham, we're sons of Abraham. God can take these rocks and make children of Abraham. Or if you follow along in the series that Randy has started last week, he was in Romans chapter 1 about how the wrath of God is coming against all forms of ungodliness and wickedness. 
And for the Jewish people reading Romans at the day, who's shouting and cheering, you tell them, Paul, those Gentiles are rotten people. He hits chapter 2 and he says, but who do you think you are? Your privilege does not earn you an extra place in line to the kingdom. Your first birth, your Jewish birth, your Samaritan birth, your white birth, your American citizenship does not make you more worthy of the kingdom of God and a better kingdom citizen. Our middle-class American citizenship makes us no more worthy of the kingdom of God than a Samaritan woman who's had five husbands. Privilege gets you nowhere. And lack of privilege does not disqualify you. This woman didn't even think Jesus should talk to her. And I suspect most people in her day didn't want to talk with her either. She was an outcast, a public shame. And yet Jesus said, I'll give you living water. He talked with her. He pointed her to a time when everyone would worship God in spirit and in truth, no matter their privilege or lack thereof. I'm telling you, that's a different way of seeing the world. In a world where you are judged by things beyond your control sometimes, in a world who defines us by boundaries outside of ourselves sometimes. John says, whoever believes in him. And the truth of John chapter 3 is that God wants to create a new you. That your place in the kingdom is not defined by privilege, that God wants to create a new you. That's what he told Nicodemus. That you must be born again. The world wants to judge you. The, wo the world wants to organize you based upon privilege. And you think your privilege is what gets you in. But Jesus says, I'm telling you, I've got something better in mind for you. The answer for Nicodemus is that God wanted to create a new hymn, a world and a kingdom that redefines privilege entirely. And what Nicodemus has to decide and what you and I have to decide is whether we love our privilege more than our place in the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, I don't care what your birth certificate says. I want to create a new you. Galatians chapter 3 tells a very similar story. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There is no place for privilege in the kingdom of God. Except for this. Galatians 3, 29. And if you're Christ, you are heirs according to the promise.
Jew, Gentile, Samaritan, black, white, man, woman, American citizen, Hispanic, Asian. None of that matters in the kingdom of God. And so as you continue reading scripture, you find that if you want to have a conversation about privilege, the answer is not defined in how our culture talks about privilege. The answer is defined by how Jesus viewed privilege. And Jesus reminds us that privilege always comes with responsibility. One time, Jesus told a man, sell everything you have. Give to the poor. Follow me. The Gospels say the man didn't want to do that. He was very wealthy. I don't know if he earned it. I don't know if he stole to get it. I don't know if he abused someone else to get it. I don't know if he inherited it. All I know is Jesus said, Do you love privilege more than you love your place in the kingdom? And the sad story there is that it looks like he did. But on another occasion, Jesus said, To whom much is given, much is required. What we do with the things God gave us says a lot about whether we value our privilege over our place in the kingdom. Well, we don't know a lot about what happens in John 3 after this setting. We don't know anything more about this Samaritan woman other than she went home and she told her community. I don't know what else became of her. Nicodemus, well, he shows up again in John chapter 7, still seems to be sitting on the fence. And then he shows up again in John 19 after the death of Jesus. He's carrying 75 pounds of aloe and myrrh, ready to help Joseph of Arimathea bury the body of Jesus. Did he ever become a disciple? John never says. He just kind of leaves you there hanging, wondering, whether his privilege means more than his place in the kingdom. But I like to imagine that maybe, just maybe, Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman became Christians after Pentecost. And I'd like to imagine that one day they show up at the same church and began working and worshiping together. Can you imagine that? Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman sitting in the same pew. Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman working and serving together. Can you picture old Nick taking his kids to Bible class one morning and standing there at the door to teach his children is this five-time married Samaritan woman. You're going to teach my kids? Oh, yeah. Can you imagine Nicodemus Fixing the gutters on her house. Helping pay food or send her kids to church camp. Can you imagine Nicodemus defending her at church when someone says she doesn't belong here? Or perhaps Nicodemus would be called to confront this woman's landlord who's trying to use a corrupt system to overcharge her and to abuse her. 
Can you see Nicodemus, this leader of the Jews, using his influence to change the system that has impoverished her and others like her? Can you imagine Nicodemus giving it all up if Jesus asked him to? If they both went to the same elders with concerns, would the elders have privileged his opinion over her opinion because he's a leader of the Jews? Or would they listen to them both? Can you see this Samaritan woman ministering to Nicodemus and his wife with what little she has when they're both sick and frail? Because that's the kingdom Jesus envisions. A kingdom where privilege does not define us. And the lack of privilege does not disqualify us. Because in the kingdom of God, we have been born again as children of God. And isn't that what the gospel is about? He, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but humbled himself and became obedient unto death even death on a cross. Well, let's face it. Odds are, given the time and place of this sermon, that you have more in common with Nicodemus than you do the Samaritan woman. Some of us do have the problems of this woman, and many of us have the privilege of Nicodemus. And the worrisome thing about this story is that Nicodemus struggled more than this woman to follow Jesus. John says in John chapter 4 and verse 39, Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She got it. Her privilege didn't interrupt her ability to see Jesus. In fact, it may have been easier for her than for Nicodemus. So I leave you with the question. Which is more important to you? Your privilege or your place in the kingdom of God? Hear me again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So this morning, in the name of Jesus Christ, I offer you that invitation. To accept your place in the kingdom is more important than the privilege you have today. To be willing to entrust Jesus to help you be born again of water and spirit. And when you come up out of the waters of baptism, there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male or female, white or black, rich or poor. Because the kingdom of God is created through a new creation that none of us are more important than anyone else. If we can serve you in any way this morning with that invitation, 
We invite you to come while we stand and sing together. All to Jesus all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence.